Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week on Around the Coin, Faisal Khan, Brian Romley, and Mike Townsend talk about Iceland's creation of their own cryptocurrency how Fiverr's decision to accept Bitcoin will be the tipping point, and how millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin were stolen from Silk Road. Around the Coin Podcast. All right, guys. How are we doing today? Doing wonderful here. Great. So uh, today we'll be talking about the latest news on Bitcoin. Um, Brian, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Do you want to jump in and get us started? Well, let's get topical and, and the news of late. Um, we have exchanges that are having problems uh, that may or may not be directly related to something called uh, the malleability problem within Bitcoin. Um, we have um, the potential of an exchange, which everybody thought would absolutely take Bitcoin down to you know, pennies on a dollar, essentially crash. And we're talking about Mt. Gox. And, you know, at this point, the ecosystem has gotten so well developed that the failure of Mt. Gox, uh, the inability to get money in or out, um, has had very little impact on Bitcoin as a whole. Um, so that's an interesting thing. And I think if you would have asked anybody just about three or four months ago what it would have meant if this sort of event took place, uh, they would have said it would have been the, pretty much the end of Bitcoin. So we're, we, we've reached a new level. And this new level, I think, is exciting in a way because it opens up new opportunities for more robust interactions uh, with uh, consumers, exchanges, and merchants and, um, and what the reasonable expectations are. It also does open it up as a target for regulators to start thinking about how consumer protection laws might be enacted. You know, um, state of California um, had a preliminary vote in uh, uh, their, one of their Senate chambers, where essentially they are going to grant um, uh, Bitcoin and other types of algorithmic currencies um, legal status as a currency, not legal tender, but as a currency. Um, there's a significant difference between legal tender, which, you know, pretty much can only be issued by the federal government under current, uh, current laws and interpretations, and currency, which uh, can be many, many currencies. When something is issued as a currency, there's reasonable expectations to be made upon those exchanges, um, money transmitters, if you will, uh, businesses, all sorts of uh, uh, things come into play. It's probably the best news for uh, algorithmic currency that has ever had uh, up to this point from a, a regulatory standpoint. It also nullifies the theory that a number of really intelligent people were making that um, Bitcoin would be regulated out of existence by the federal government by disallowing merchants from even displaying that they can accept Bitcoin. Um, it was a radical, apparently, thought of as a contrarian theory, but um, if in fact uh, state of California does what it appears to be doing, it, it seems to have no resistance. The head of the banking committee in the state of California is fully behind it, uh, and um, none of the banks are against it. 
banks would be for this ruling um, aggressively because it would allow them to participate aggressively in this uh, market space. So we have a, a very unique turn of events. It will also nullify uh, the potential uh, rules that other states might uh, place. There's something called, um, uh, well, there's a number of laws. Uh, uh, Interstate Commerce Commission uh, really began a lot of these uh, rules that would uh, disallow making something illegal in one state but legal in another when it has to do with commerce. And uh, so if the state of New York were to sit down and say, well, we're going to regulate Bitcoin not as a currency but as a, as a commodity or as a stock or something along those lines, it's a radically different uh, uh, environment for them if the state of California already recognizes it as a currency. Why do you think these need to be regulated on a state-by-state basis? I mean, wouldn't Bitcoin be regulated federally and then states would just be subject well, to federal decisions? It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to, but the state of California, uh, whenever you create a, a vacuum, legislators are going to legislate, regulators are going to regulate. It's their job. That's all they see the world through. So whenever something appears out of nowhere, they see it through the glasses of how do I regulate it and how do I legislate it? State of California is taking a very, I think, a very technologically savvy point of view and they see it as a technological achievement and they want to center it back into the state of California and not in a foreign country and not in other states, but definitely not in a foreign country. So by defining the rules of what this really is, legally, it allows corporations and investment, capital formation, and banks to participate in this. Will it change Bitcoin materially? Not really. It would just make it much easier for corporations to be formed around this. Uh, today, it's, uh, it's sort of a black hole. Uh, a federal government may, in fact, create rules and, and, and laws. Um, and they may supersede um, what states create. But um, it's a very interesting angle that the state of California has taken because in, interstate uh, commerce laws are, are, are really very, very clear and they're very solid. So uh, if it's legal in the state of California, the currency, um, no other state could deregulate it. And the federal government couldn't either unless they had a real firm basis. And do you think that the maybe FICE list would be interesting uh, to hear your perspective? Do you think that the maybe California or the Fed, U.S. federal government is largely dictating the future of the currency? I mean, because once it becomes firm and fixed in the United States, whenever that's going to be, the rest of the world, you know, traditionally has has followed behind those um, those footsteps. I mean, that's a huge decision that these guys are making. Uh, do you think that it's inevitable that the rest of the world falls behind? In decisions the Fed makes, well, uh, no, two things. One, uh, FinCEN, which is the Financial Crime Enforcement Network, I think in 2012 or early 2013, they gave out a ruling that uh, you know Bitcoin is something that needs to be regulated on a state statewide level. So that's one. Because of that ruling, all the states are jumping in. Uh, second thing is, just very recently, the uh, research library at the Library of Congress published a report which uh, highlights that. 41 countries uh, where Bitcoin has been regulated in some form or the other, be it uh, for or against Bitcoin, but nonetheless. So in this case, the U.S. is clearly behind. It's not in front. Uh, however, uh, once they do set the, uh, you know, the laws in motion and, and they do regulate it and do have a framework to work with, I think those 41 countries may alter their views. That's one. And the countries that are sitting on the sideline definitely have a cue to take from the U.S. as far as Bitcoin is concerned. Uh, you have California, you know, which is sort of, uh, I don't know where it's heading, uh, but I'm assuming positively in the right direction. But then you had New Jersey, which is very you know, cautiously taken some very negative steps as far as Bitcoin was concerned with the specific trader. Well, you know, uh, that actually is really unrelated to Bitcoin or algorithmic currencies directly. What it's really related to is what they are deeming more of a hacking event. What they're essentially saying is that if you steal somebody's CPUs, you know, and again, this is the state of New Jersey, uh, without, you know, tacit approval from the person's computer, you know, do you have the right to steal these CPUs? Then... Um, uh, you're violating the law. So what, what, what's really going on? A couple of MIT students created a JavaScript which would, uh, 
when you enter into a page, you would actually be able to lend your computer time to being uh, a part of solving uh, in a pool an algorithmic currency. It, it is not going to be Bitcoin, by the way, because the ASICs required to make Bitcoin even reasonably useful on uh, uh, somebody's computer is, you know, it's, it's out of the realm. But something like DoggyCoin could be potentially if you, uh, you know, use in this manner. So has that been done before? Yeah, there's nothing unique about that. There, there have been scripts that have done that uh, now for about two years. Why all of a sudden New Jersey, I think what they're doing is they're trying to define, um, do you have the right uh, just because somebody's on your page to serotypically remove some of their CPU clock cycles and to make money from it. And I think actually, in the end, it'll actually be a good thing because that is one way to create compensation. I don't think it's a great idea to the nth degree. i rather see everybody just mine algorithmic currencies on their computer and then give it out to people who they think deserve it. Um, there's an egalitarian aspect to some of these coins. Uh, maybe not doggy coin today, but there are other coins. So, mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about Aurora coin right now, which is going to be given out uh, to um, every citizen of, uh, of, the, of the country. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute, maybe. But, you know, this idea that you and I can manufacture the funds that we're going to give to great authors, to great programmers, to somebody who wrote a good song or whatever, is phenomenal. And and if in fact it creates a dollar value in 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 a in a local currency, all the better. Uh, today it might just be monopoly money. That's what everybody t- told me. Doggy coin was going to be. Hey, I'm giving somebody ten thousand doggy coins because they wrote a really good um, uh, bit of code for me. And I go, that's really nice. What's it worth? Well. It's never going to be worth anything. Well, I just turned around. It's worth a penny now. Hmm. You know, so, you know, this idea that we know where this is going, anybody who thinks they have a clue, uh, that is the, the textbook example of somebody who doesn't know what's going on. This is, uh, this is uncharted territory from that regard. But human, be- human beings behave the same that they have for the last, um, you know, 50, 80,000 years uh, from an emotional standpoint. And I think if you can manufacture money uh, and, and are limited by the CPU power of your, uh, you know, of your graphics card and your, and your main processor. And you can manufacture a reasonable amount of currency to use, let's say uh, 100 coins a month. And you start giving fractions of those coins out uh, to content producers. I believe you're creating a very rich uh, and rewarding environment. Now that's, to me, the best way to do this. The way this algorithm uh, or this JavaScript is being used from uh, these students at MIT is that, okay, perhaps you might give permission uh, for this uh, script to run on your computer after the state of New Jersey finds that you, know, you need declarations and sign-offs and all that. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, the, the method that you'd be using would be highly inefficient. It'd be much more efficient for you to download, uh, you know, a, an app and just run it on your PC, you know, your Mac, and just let it go at it 24 hours a day, not just when you're uh, watching the content. And then when you go and see that content, you deliver a payment uh, through a new transport protocol. That, to me, is the best way to do it. And a lot of people just are hypersensitive anytime somebody talks about regulation and, and, and laws. The, the fact is... That's what these people do. Whether you like it or dislike it, that's the nature of living in an organized system of government. Now, I happen to think that regulators over-regulate and legislators over-legislate and lawyers over-lawyer. And uh, I happen to think that there's a trend amongst the people who are not in those fields to really dislike it. And of course, Bitcoin and algorithmic currencies were created with a lot of the idea in mind that they want to get out of that realm. But um, I don't think that's going to be possible. But that doesn't make it like it's going to be illegal. It doesn't make it like it's going to be something that's going to be yes, less useful. I happen to predict that it's going to be more useful. I happen to think that it's going to make it a lot easier for people to understand and accept it. And what we touched upon in, in, in the prior show, uh, I, I think it will create a level of trust. 
Uh, and this level of trust can go high enough so that we can feel secure enough that, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll use this more and maybe so, I'll trust it. So Brian, what, what or, or Faisal, what do we think is going to happen in Iceland, which is where Aurora Coin, Aurora Coin, the same name as the Northern Lights, is going to go live on March 25th of this year. And uh, in looking into it, it appears that their decision to do this was based largely on the fact that the government doesn't have a very um, great system for tracking existing money transfers. Um, so they looked at this as the primary reason. There's an interesting book called Currency Wars, where you know major political leaders are extremely interested in currency valuations respective to each other, foreign mm-hmm. exchange trading, um, largely because you have leverage, right? If you are in debt and you uh, can, you know, change the currency of some other country's uh, worth, right? That's that's probably greater than any defense budget you can ever have. Um, I wonder if Iceland is actually seeing something or being a little bit um, clever by going this direction first. I wonder if they see that they can leverage or somehow... Um, you know, increase the overall wealth of the country by doing this. Do you think there's any more, anything more to this story than than what meets the eye in terms of their leaders and decisions to do this? I don't know if it's really going to replace or increase value in their economy as such. But you know, Icelanders have been very uh, wary of the banking system. If you recall the, the financial crisis that happened, you know, a couple of banks went down and they absolutely refused to bail them out and went into a default. Uh, whether or not Iceland, and I think this is, if I'm not wrong, I think this is the first time a country outside the U.S. has actually made a digital currency, a cryptocurrency, right? because everything else that I can recall has been, is, is pretty much been uh, uh, created in the U.S., uh, MasterCoin, uh, you know, Bitcoin, Ripple, uh, PeerCoin, Dogecoin. Uh, I don't know what Aurora plans to do, um, but it's interesting. I was reading on Venezuela, and you know, Venezuela has a financial crisis, and you know, inflation is going high, and there are riots and everything else. And there's been a lot of activity in Bitcoin in Venezuela. So it'll hmm. be interesting to see how Venezuela uses Bitcoin to safeguard their currency. But you know, the past two, three weeks, Bitcoin has been up and down. It's like a friend of mine said, you know, it's like a monkey on a grease pole. Uh, here's, a, here's a thought for you, Faisal. I wonder, you know, you kind of opened my eyes when you said that. I wonder if it's inevitable or maybe a potential possibility in the future that every country uh, transitions to this cryptocurrency or maybe in some ways um, just moves their existing currency there. Because when you say Venezuela, I question, do they have the technical ability uh, to actually make, even though it's open source, to make and produce and maintain their own uh, currency system. I wonder if there's an opportunity for company or maybe even a country to uh, create the infrastructure to create individual currencies or if that sort of defeats the purpose of having a cryptocurrency that well, you can use internationally. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if they're going to create a, a country that's actually going to create their own currency. Um, it'll be a Huge monumental effort. I mean, you know, getting that. I mean, certainly it'll be a, a, a digitally f- approved fiat currency as far as they're concerned. But uh, what purpose would it serve? You know, better transaction, you know, better platform, uh, payment network, what have you. But uh, I, I, I don't see that happening immediately. I mean, there's just so much happening uh, because cash on the street is very, very difficult to convert into a digital currency, uh, a cryptocurrency per se. Uh, Venezuela is just happens to to take is seemingly taking refuge in bitcoin uh it's it's a, it's a very small number right now but you know in the last uh, 2 3 weeks you had some very good uh, uh positive talks come out of the you know new york uh, dfs which is department of financial services they had their hearings and everything was going you know all right and then until this mount gox thing started happening and you know the uh, the arbitrage opportunity between Mount Gox and the other exchanges went to zero and is now a negative, and you know prices plummeted, etc. Uh, on on the same hand, you saw you know companies like uh, Fiverr uh, joining up uh, hands with Coinbase, and now Fiverr will accept uh, bitcoins. So there's a lot happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem, but it's happening in very small pockets on a government level. Uh, it's simply a question, do we regulate it or uh, are we for Bitcoin or are we against Bitcoin? And most of them are saying, you know, well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what the U.S. does. We'll wait and see what the U.K. does 
or uh, we'll wait and see what our neighbor to the left or our neighbor to the right mm-hmm. does, you know. Uh, too early to tell. We'll wait and see what, for example, the region would do. Um, mm-hmm. So too early to tell if, if, if a country itself is going to go uh, something like this. I, to be very honest, have not read much on Aurora. So it'll be well, interesting well, to see what, what, how, it, how it pans out, you know. Let, let me drop in with Aurora coin. Um, it is not fish at this point, officially recognized by uh, the country of Iceland. So independent group of individuals got together and they said, what what we're going to do is give every man, woman, and child in the country, which is 330,000 individuals, um, uh, I think it's uh, 31.8 Aurora coins per year, perhaps uh, for the next five years. They, they call it a, an airdrop. And wh- how are they going to do this? Well, it turns out Iceland created a master list of every man, woman, and child that's available for view uh, as a citizen of the country. Now, that was hotly contested. There was a lot of violent protest over it, but now they're using it in their mind for a very positive cause. Now, what did, what did they do? They did something called a pre-mine. This, this coin was invented on something called the script protocol, which is exactly the same thing that um, uh, Litecoin is invented on. And um, a lot of the alternative coins are, are, are using script and not the uh, SHA protocol that uh, Bitcoin's using. So 50% was pre-mined. Now, normally as a miner, I avoid a lot of pre-mined coins because it, un, I think, unwarrantly uh, tilts the value of that coin to the hands of the inventor of the coin. Uh, there are literally hundreds of coins that are out there. And um, a lot of us miners will mine the ones that are openly traded on exchanges, um, you know, in, in pools called multi-pools. But that's, a, that's another story. With Aurora coin, the interesting part is they're preceding uh, or pre-populating this coin in the hands of citizens. Now, one might argue, what value does it have? Well, if everybody just sits on it, potentially it has a very little value. But there's another element to this, and uh, we've been doing this for quite a while, a number of us miners, is the coin is also opened up for mining operations because mining operations do two things. It manufactures the remainder of the 50% of coins, but it also builds the blockchain, the public ledger. It, 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 it's a transaction mechanism that makes these things happen. So that's the reward for giving up your computers to mine this coin. Um, it is a phenomenal idea, I think. Um, nobody knows where it's going to go. It is a huge experiment. And the biggest risk that anybody has is maybe tying up a few graphics cards uh, a number of my colleagues already have hundreds of uh, Aurora coin, and technically they're not even being given out to the citizen jet. And that, again, is why I urge everybody to become a miner if they even have the slightest urge of being technical. There's thousands of coins to mine. Um, some of the coins, like Litecoin, are a lot harder. Things like Bitcoin, you require application-specific ICs and, uh, and and heavy mining rigs that are going to cost in the uh, $20,000 range to be reasonable at some point. Uh, but these more egalitarian type of systems where the coins are invented and created and maintained so that individuals can use just their standard PC in a corner is a very positive, uh, I think, a very positive aspect to this. So it's an experiment. Would the would the country officially recognize a coin? I think there's a tremendous amount of evidence that would suggest that they're sitting back, not holding any cards public, and seeing how the adoption is. And I don't think we'll be able to have, be a final judge of what this is going to be uh, maybe two or three years from now. But uh, a number of us miners are betting that this could very well be the next Bitcoin in a very real and material way. Uh, when you have um, a, a built-in economy like this, so mm-hmm. it's 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 yeah. interesting. And even as you know, Iceland makes decisions, and even countries make decisions. I think they're gonna, you know, they're human beings. They're gonna look on Google. They're gonna research it, and they're going to work with their analysts to say, you know, form decisions on where they think it's going to go. <clears throat> Largely, that will uh, impact the future of the the country, right? Because if you make a a crucial wrong decision here, it, it could. Uh, 
it could it could really hinder your ability to grow as a country. I think what's interesting is like looking at other companies, right? Much smaller entities. Fiverr comes to mind. I'm looking at their blog post from February 10th, six days ago, when they announced that they were accepting Bitcoins. And I mean, as a top five, at least top 10 um, uh, uh, freelancing site, this is interesting, right? Because now, you know, the entire ecosystem has the ability to exchange on Bitcoin. Um, Faisal, you think this is going to make a huge impact or how do you, or you think this is going to blow over and just, it's going to be just another company accepting Bitcoin? No, uh, I, I believe this is a turning point. I believe this is a catalyst. I believe this is a sign that a lot many companies were waiting for. Uh, Fiverr having to accept Bitcoin via Coinbase is going to have a huge impact. Um, there are at least, you know, I mean, I can think of Odesk and Elance and Freelancer.com and Coder.com, what have you. All of them, I think, will follow suit. And I don't think far off you'll see uh, some sort of Bitcoin engagement in, on a stack exchange even. So I think this is a very monumental uh, uh, you know, point as far as Bitcoin is concerned in its history that Fiverr and Coinbase have tied up because now you're looking at a pretty large swath of uh, users who can have access to Bitcoin at a very low transaction rate. And I believe... Um, you know, this is somewhat going to offset the PayPal model that they had in place for for people who wanted to have a gig on Fiverr to sign up for. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can accept bitcoins and are okay with it, you know, you can hop on board. So, mm-hmm. I think it's a it's it's a huge thing. What do you think, Brian? I concur. I think um, it is not only high profile. It uh, it shows an excellent use case for algorithmic, algorithmic currencies. Um, it's not an accident that we're going to see more services based industries being attracted to Bitcoin. Uh, the thing is, uh, because there is no mediation required to get payment uh, through these algorithmic currencies, it, it may be even harder in the future for mediators to get in the middle. Uh, you know, if I put my Bitcoin or doggy coin or Litecoin address out there and somebody wants to compensate me directly, there's nobody that they need to ask permission for. So, what we might start seeing is um, these aggregation sites like Fi- uh, Fiverr, which is really just aggregating talent, uh, creating more and more value uh, because there could be a Craigslist type of site popping up where there is no cost and there is no reason to be in the middle. So I think it's a great thing. Uh, I think it's great that they took it upon themselves to be in front of this. And um, I can tell you uh, off the record uh, that there's probably about Everything a dozen. the record. <laughs> yeah. I can't say what company, but I could tell you there's about a dozen companies that were waiting for Fiverr to kind of make this move or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start seeing the floodgates open up. Who, who are and the next ones we're going to start seeing? Uh, it's going to be service-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and uh, it's very likely, I think Coinbase is going to be the company uh, that's going to be leading this. I think it's going to depress a lot of people who are in the standard payments world because mm-hmm. a lot of the people in the standard payments world are sitting on their hands. And a lot of it is because of legal advice. A lot of it is because... Uh, venture capitalists and very well-known uh, people who love payments and have studied payments are telling them, stay away from it. It's going to be regulated out of existence. Meanwhile, companies like Coinbase are and and Bitstamp and a few of the other companies are, are, are really making huge, uh, huge gains. And I think this spring is going to be the spring of, uh, of Bitcoin uh, to be accepted uh, online. So if everyone accepts it, <clears throat> that still doesn't mean people pay for it. Are there are you know paying using Bitcoin? Um, is there any interesting catalysts that these companies can do? Or you know, I know Amazon has accepted Bitcoins for a while now. Um, I'm not sure that people can pay uh, or people do pay on Amazon using Bitcoins. Is there something that the companies will do? Will they offer any sort of discount to get it going? I mean, do they have major advantages? Right, like even sending money from the USA to India. Um, Elance has a great system to do that and PayPal doesn't. So Elance, you know, rides that trend and, and that's what's actually helped them grow quite a bit. Are there other things that companies can do to, you know, offer Bitcoin as a better option than US dollars or other forms of payment other than just another option? Well, I'll, I'll step in and say this. I think there's a huge market for uh, a lot of 
you know, countries like India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, etc., where access to micro payments, well, not micro, small payments, $25, $50, $100, something that you really can't do a wire transfer on because it costs too much. I think there would be a good uh, business sense for to accumulate money in Bitcoins, uh, have it converted via Coinbase to US dollars, and then have this money loaded onto prepaid cards. So I, do, I, I think, mm. you know, companies like Payoneer or, 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 or similar companies will probably say, well, you know, accept your money in Bitcoins or we will accept your money in Bitcoin and we will convert it to, you know, the UK pound or, you know, the, the American dollar and then credit your prepaid debit card on it so that you can actually use it in your country. I think I think uh, that I, I I don't think I just know it's going to happen. Sometimes very mm-hmm. very soon. Interesting, Brian. You have any thoughts on that? You know, I I definitely agree from my perspective. Um, I think in uh, Faisal's part of the world, it looks like India uh, is starting to consider what cryptocurrency might represent from a from a banking level, and uh, I, I think the biggest problem and the biggest opportunity. Um, for entrepreneurs is the state of confusion. I think in what really makes great entrepreneurs is that they're able to make something valuable out of all the chaos. It, you know, t- five years from now, it'll be very clear um, who the winner was. You know, uh, if you want to pick a single winner, there's going to be a lot of winners. Um, I'm willing to bet five years from now, anybody who is mining uh, these coins are going to be the ultimate winners. They're going to be the venture capitalist hero stories um, of the next generation. And um, I meet these people every day. I'm one of them. But um, I, I keep doing uh, my hand planting to my face, wondering why is it so hard for people who have a technological background not to understand they should be using their hardware to mine these things. Pick a coin, any coin. Um, I said this last year about Litecoin, right? And um, I have a great story of a, of a gentleman who's just turned 17 who ran into me at a conference. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a poor family. Um, I, my family doesn't speak English very well. I, I want to be involved in payments and money. What should I do? And I said, do you have an old Dell computer at home? He goes, yes. I go, buy two graphics cards, turn it on, run this program, and let's see what happens. I didn't think a year. I thought five years. Well, you know, he accumulated, um, I think it was uh, just under 1,000 Litecoins. And, um, you know, let me, let me say that this gentleman, um, he took seven bus rides to get to this conference and didn't have enough money to get back. Mm. Right. He was just going to wing it back. Uh, this gentleman now has just a little less than a million dollars, not wow. just from Litecoin, other things he's done. Now, these stories are happening all around us. They're not happening in a Silicon Valley. They're not happening in, in, you know, in Austin and Atlanta and Chicago. They're happening all around the world. And it's not on the front page of TechCrunch because most of the people that are writing there already seeing the world through what I feel are ancient eyes. They're already, they're, they, they think that they're in a cutting edge of, you know, I'm really looking at the cutting edge of technology, but it's it shifted. I'm not saying the Silicon Valley is irrelevant. I'm just saying that it's moving so fast. Uh, the, the, the people who are adopting this and moving it forward, they don't even, they don't even have these discussions. They, they're not thinking in terms, just like anybody who's young and exuberant, they're not thinking about what are the political ramifications, you know, how is this going to affect corporate uh, policies and, and, and know your customer and all that. All they know is that they're creating value by mining these coins, they're giving it away. That's how doggy coin happened. You know, I have I, every single hour of the day, I almost have somebody asking me who, who really should understand finance very well. These are experts in the Silicon Valley startup world. How did doggy coin happen? How did it happen <laughs> without me knowing? And, and I'm saying, you know, it's happening right now and it's another coin and it creates a high level of insecurity. And let me tell you how human psychology works. If you are a very well-known investor or venture capitalist and you don't know more than everybody in the room, you are inherently, inherent, if you don't believe you know more, you're inherently insecure. 
In fact, that whole industry is inherently insecure. And I'm not putting it down. I love these guys. I work with them. I'm a VC and angel investor myself. But this is unlike anything they've ever seen before because it's happening so quickly, they can't get a, a, a grip on it. And Dreesen Horowitz is probably the only VC firm I know that is really jumping in front of it and, uh, and, and sort of leading it. Um, I'm surprised by some of the things that are being said over there, but I think it's, it's encouraging. But w- where the real activity is, just like anything else that's a revolution, is happening in the room of a 16- and 17-year-old right now. Uh, these people are hacking away. They're the ones that made Twitter happen. They're the ones that actually made Facebook, MySpace. And, and they are using this for a lot of different uh, ends and means. But if, if I had a really relatively well-known writer who's writing a book about some of this, and uh, hopefully I'm going to collaborate. My angle is this is the gold rush of our generation. Oh, it, is, it is absolutely... And it's transformative to that level. San Francisco Bay Area would not be what it is today unless there was a uh, an 1849 Sutter Mill gold rush, and uh, it would it would really just be a coastal town, not much different than Portland. Uh, the railroad did, did help it, but the railroad also was going out there primarily because people wanted to mine gold. Now, the 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 meme that really breaks my heart is, and and it's a really historical inaccuracy is that the only people that made money were the suppliers to the miners. And that is 100% false. It is 100% false. And it's, it's designed for people to believe that there isn't an, a dream in this country. There is no American dream. Uh, if you really go back into history, billions of dollars in today's dollars were made by independent wildcats that went out there and, and got a pan and panned for a placer gold or, or, or dug a little bit with a pickaxe and they went out and they <clears throat> developed the economy. That's what's going on right well, now. Brian, I'd have to say with every, with every million dollar lottery, lottery winner, there are countless losers. But this is not a lottery. This is with, not a lottery. With every, with every gold rush, there are many people left empty okay. uh, with just high hopes. What's your investment? No, but yeah. Bitcoin uh, is your, not your a computer. Bitcoin is not a, a net, zero, uh, net sum zero game, you know? I, exactly. You, you have to understand uh, that. What I would think if I'm an investor is, like every investor thinks, what are the risks, right? What are the things that uh, I have to watch out for? How could this fail? You know, if you have a few other uh, companies hacked. You just have Silk Road Two was hacked. Um, Sheep Marketplace back in uh, March of 2013 for five million dollars of Bitcoin uh, worth back then. Are, are there risks that you see that you know people? Yes. You know, you know, hundred and ten. What they? What no, no, I, I want to comment on this thing. I want to comment okay. on this thing. Uh, you know, all the Bitcoins that have been hacked, and I was reading somewhere, and it was also in uh, Breaking Banks radio show that Brett King does. And they mentioned that, you know, all the Bitcoins that were hacked, we know which wallet they're in. They have not been used because where are you going to use them? How are you going to spend them? Because the minute you do so, it's in the open ledger. You can trace. You can't launder them. You can't, you cannot launder them. And that's the huge problem right now. Everything is in the open ledger. If they transfer, if they use it, if they sell it to someone, they have the same problem. So you can always track it back. They've just gone silent and because they don't know how to fix that problem. They'll probably sell those coins to someone who doesn't know about the open ledger. And then obviously he'll get into trouble or she will get into trouble, what have you. But the, the coins can be traced, their spending can be traced, their transfers can be traced. I understand they were hacked, but there is an inherent insurance, if you will, that should these people spend or use these coins, uh, they can be tracked down. Mm-hmm. Absolute security is a fallacy. It doesn't exist anywhere, anytime, uh, from the past on into the future. You can never be fully secure. Um, 110 million um, hacks took place on Target's computer. So 110, uh, a Target's POS system, 110 million consumers, uh, maybe 40% are debit cards. And that means it goes directly into a checking account. Oh. We're, we're, we're hacked, all right? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the credit card system should be uh, scrapped tomorrow because of that. Uh, I'm just saying that that's going to change the world because whether... Any, any Silicon Valley startup company doesn't like it or not, 
from 2015 moving forward, your dreams of being able to get a magnetic strip uh, card reader out in the population is zero. I mean, the consumer, once they look around and everybody's required EMV and uh, requiring a pin perhaps, uh, if you're going to ask somebody to swipe their card on the smartphone, those days are done. So it's going to change the entire payment landscape. It's going to increase the cost. An EMV a level one a certified device is going to be at least $25 to $35. So you can't really give those away for free to just anybody who wants to accept payment. Now, everybody seems to think that the shift of liability is going to be the only thing that's going to happen. I wish that was the case. I think uh, <laughs> the federal government the federal government is going to come in and say, no, there's no shift of liability. It's a federal law. If you're going to collect somebody's credit card, you have to, in fact, use EMV or like technology. It's got to be certified. And uh, there's a good chance that um, uh, tokenization and end-to-end -end encryption is going to uh, be ruling the day. That's going to change everybody in the payments world. So let's, let's get that wider view. Everything is hackable. Uh, the malleability issue that has caused Silk Road 2 such a problem was a well-known aspect of Bitcoins, just like the 51% hack, if you will. And there's remediations. But let's mm. look at what it really did. Let's not look at Mt. Gox anymore because there's no trading. So it's trading at $200 Bitcoin. That means there's nothing there. But if you look at the rest of the greater world, uh, Bitcoin's stable at around six, $700. All of this hacking and nobody's running to the exits. And so two very large tests took place in the space of just a couple of days. And that was a major exchange that everybody thought if it went down would crash Bitcoin. Didn't happen, really. They crashed it on their own site. I feel sorry for people who are stuck in there. Uh, I believe that's going to be resolved. Uh, but um, it's going to be paid. Are they still? Are they still? They're shut down in limbo. That's crazy. You can't get money in. You can't get money out. Oh, and uh, and it's uh, it's a nasty thing. Lawyers, there's lawsuits everywhere. I, I think but, they'll come out of it. I mean, it, once the problem is fixed, so but 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 the damage is done. Yeah, it's a credibility thing, and this goes back to what we were talking about before uh, in our prior show: is trust. Right. See, all transactions, and we. It's so nebulous. When I talk about this, I've been talking about trust uh, for three decades. But when I talk to startup founders the last decade and especially the last three years, I go, you have to understand you're building your dreams of being a payment disruptor on top of a trust system that was built over decades. And they just look at me with blank stares, very, very intelligent individuals uh, with, with visionary eyes to the future of touching every transaction in the world. And I said, that's a beautiful vision. It's very Steve Jobs, but how are you going to render trust? You know, I, I have an answer for blank. that. I have an answer for that. I think one of the things that's going to come out of the Mount Gox thing is somewhere down the line, you will have a major broker player. I don't know who. Uh, someone who specializes in foreign currency. Uh, Agreed. Who will come in and say, you know what? I'm going to allow you to trade Bitcoins on my Wall Street secure servers and uh, my Wall Street, you know, uh, compliant and uh, what have you uh, system and Bit Bitcoin would now be able to trade uh, could be, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm even afraid to say the names because if I say a name, I'm afraid they might have already gone bankrupt because there's been so many bankruptcies <laughs> in the US. But, but a large currency FX trader, uh, well-known name just might come into the game. And yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, because exchanges, because you know, an exchange right now is making at best 0.15 percent to 0.2 percent on every million dollars that they trade, and if you take the costs out, what are they making? 0.05 percent, 0.1 percent at best. They'd have to you know clear a lot many millions uh, as a startup, and they will be in a startup phase uh, to make some decent money. Uh, now that, you know, there's putting so much, uh, the law of, it's the law of diminishing returns for them as far as they're concerned, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the economies of scale work for a broker who's already in the FX market. For them to add another Bitcoin thing, you know, another another trading um, uh, uh, currency, so to speak, is will not have much costs to it. And I think that the trust will be there. Because for startups, that that trust element is a huge deficit. If today an exchange comes up in the in in the U.S., you know, again, uh, will it be hacked? Is it secure? You know, how can I trust it? Will I get my money out? Is it regulated? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. With a with a large FX broker, I don't think so. Those issues will be there. 
You know, Faisal, I think that the state of California is moving in that direction. What I think, well, actually, I'm willing to assert that uh, perhaps in the next three years, California will produce probably one of the largest uh, algorithmic currency exchanges in the world. And um, that's the direction they want to go in. Now, I believe that the way that exchange looks in comparison to the other exchanges around the world is going to be remarkably different. But it's going to operate in a similar way. I believe a bank uh, ultimately will uh, will grant its uh, security aspect to these uh, types of transactions. And if if it was not considered a lawful con- uh, currency in the state of California, you couldn't even go about making these types of exchanges to the level they need to be made. So it's a, it's a matter of time. Uh, there's absolutely nothing that's going to stop it. Even if the legislation, which has 75 to zero vote, and it seems like it's going to go on to the next uh, uh, part of the House to get that vote, and, and, and Governor Brown says he's for it. Uh, even if that didn't happen, another enterprising state um, is going to jump up and say, you know, I want all of these economies to come to my state. So just like what happened with Delaware and what happened to a lot of the other states that uh, you know made banking and usury laws change so that credit card companies can be issued, uh, credit cards can be issued at a higher rate. A lot of people said, well, why did they move to that state? Because there, was, there were usury laws that disallowed 30% you know, interest rates on credit cards. So that's going to happen. And, um, and so now, again, what's the opportunity? Opportunity is about as wide as, wide as it gets. Do you, do you think, here, Brian, yeah, I know you like to comment about the Silicon Valley perspective and how sometimes they're drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, if you look on AngelList, which is the marketplace essentially for startups, and you look under Bitcoin and you look under Signal, which is the indication of a company's um, hype, you could say. Sure. The second most popular behind Coinbase is Buttercoin. And Buttercoin went through Y Combinator, one of the most prominent um, incubators that there is that there are, and their claim after they raised a few million dollars from some great VCs um, is the easiest way to launch a Bitcoin trading platform. <clears throat> Do you think that this is on the right trail? I mean, it sounds similar to what uh, Feist was describing. Um, I wonder if if they're if they're really hitting a chord or if they're shooting in the dark. Uh, well, you know, it's anybody's guess. All I know, all right. There are going to be exchanges. Um, you know, a, a, a Bitcoin wallet company opened up their APIs for everybody to use. And now you can go out there and essentially build the exact same thing they created. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of these gestations. But I think it's very important in, because we're in the middle of all this to take the few steps back and to see that we're not even in the conception phase of birth. We haven't even gave birth to this <laughs> I almost industry. feel that way about most technology. Yeah. Really? I mean, we're, we're, we're a sperm and an egg right now, and we're, we're, we're in the greater world not knowing what we meet up with. Yeah, I mean, that's where we are in algorithmic currencies. Yeah. I but think I that's do, where we are in, in, in most technology. Most technology. But see, that's where you want to be. If you truly, and that's why the youth have really taken hold of this. And that's why it's such a quagmire. For, for the current payment companies, uh, the legacy ones, of course, but the startup ones, because their, their belief, they were, they were told that they're disruptors. And they wake up and they realize, holy cow, the disruption is taking place so fast that our, our two-year startup or five-year startup is ancient. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, the disruptors and, are getting disrupted. Yeah, and so it's, this is where the opportunity is. So I think, you know, do you want to drink the Kool-Aid that Bitcoin will rule the world? I'm not. All I'm saying is that in chaos, there is opportunity. And that's not opportunity to take advantage of people. That's the opportunity to, to take that piece of chaos that you see and normalize it into a sense of clarity. Out of chaos, you can find clarity. Einstein started with that notion. It's where we are today. But the clarity I'm seeing isn't coming out of the mouths of you know, Bitcoin founders and, you know, Bitcoin uh, leaders. It's not coming out of uh, most of the venture capitalists and experts and payments. It's coming out of the youth that see this and have fixated on it. And just like any great thing, like the internet, what did Mark Andreessen do? Mark Andreessen didn't know what his challenges were when he was putting together a browser. He was a student at a university. He said, I just want to build a browser. And even though there were other protocols, he, he kind of elbowed in there and said, well, 
I don't like Telnet anymore. And I don't like, uh, you know, all these other types of protocols. We're going to build this one. And some guy at the other part of the world was sitting there saying, wow, this kid's got a great idea. Let me support him. That's what's going on right now. And it's not a surprise that you see amalgamations of people at different parts of the, 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 the world in different age brackets who are sort of thinking outside the box. They're creating these new things. And again, the very first great example of this isn't Bitcoin itself. It's DoggyCoin. It's Litecoin and AuroraCoin, in my view. Um, and uh, the people who I think are going to be successful, obviously, there's no doubt in my mind, the people who are mining these coins are going to be successful. Why? It's not even a bet. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it all around me. And, um, you know, that's phase one. Now, phase two is adoption and expansion. Coinbase has done a phenomenal job standing in front of everybody and saying, we're going to create the next PayPal. We're going to be a wallet. We're going to be on the consumer side and we're going to be on the merchant side. And we are just seeing the merchant side explode. Yeah, and you have some I tremendous agree. talent there. Especially, so especially, the especially with the Fiverr thing, I think the adoption uh, uh, you know, a train has just left the station. Yeah, absolutely, Faisal. You're right on target there. Faisal, give us your, uh, give us your last thoughts and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I, I think I'll just uh, finish with the thing about Coinbase and Fiverr. And I think that's a very important thing that's happened recently. Adoption is uh, you know, coming up slowly. And, you know, when Brian talks about uh, Litecoin and Dogecoin, I think they're there, but not mainstream enough because everyone, when they talk about cryptocurrencies, they, they talk about Bitcoin first. And they're having a hard time just understanding Bitcoin as it is. And I think once you have a solid understanding wide across the market about Bitcoin, um, you know, people would have definitely made money in Dogecoin and Litecoin and the other coins. Uh, and, and I think that's when the other coins will really start showing up on the radar of, you know, everyday users like you and I. Mm. I agree. Interesting stuff, guys. All right. Well, it's been an uh, uh, exciting and ever-changing conversation. I, I hear you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll look forward to next week. Thank you. Talk next All week. Right, Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.